have already been blessed, folks, because for a choir to sing like they sang, for them to declare that the Lord is going to lead us to Gethsemane and to Calvary, and for Belinda to sing, he is faithful, because he is. And if we accept that, we walk in peace. And then for the wonderful, with passion and with feeling, for the scriptures to be read. I am thankful to have already worshipped. And I'm very thankful to be able to come before you and to declare the fact that he is leading us to Gethsemane and he is leading us to Calvary or to Golgotha. Now I have a question for you to start our thinking today. Which do you like best, Calvary or Golgotha? We're going to take a vote. Baptists love to vote. You know that. So everybody that prefers and likes the term Golgotha Please raise your hand. Wow. I'll put mine down. I don't like it either. How many here prefer the term Calvary? Please raise your hand. Thank you very much. I will sit down and we'll be done. No, not exactly. Do you know, uh, just out of interest, I've always kind of struggled with those two terms. And I've always said Golgotha sounds somber and threatening and difficult. Calvary, Mount Calvary, and certainly when you sing or say that, that you believe in a hill called Calvary, sounds so beautiful. But are you aware that both of them both terms in different languages mean the place of the skull. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that for a long time. And when I found that out, it, it, it bothered me because I love the term Mount Calvary. There's just something about that, and I think the Lord's given that to me and maybe to you since so many of us like that. So for me, this horrible experience, this wondrous experience that we're going to be reflecting on for the next 30 minutes or so, uh, took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place, let me make you aware, that Jesus had been there many times before, it seems. And it was a place where he and his disciples love to gather, to pray, to talk, to be together. And so the Garden of Gethsemane was well known to Jesus and to his people. And it was a sacred place. And Jesus went there to pray. And then when we go from that place through a little bit, but not a whole lot, of all the wonderful, horrible Mockery of a trial, I say wonderful facetiously. And then the beatings and the ridicule and the abuse 
Sad though it is, I, I will tell you, and I, I will say this like this, I'm not sure that it fits. Just about a week ago, I gave myself a privilege. I went back, and sitting in my TV room, I put in a, one of those good DVDs that you can watch, and I watched The Passion of the Christ movie that came out a few years ago. Now, I say it was a privilege because I intended under God's leadership to do that. But it was a horror. It was something that the first time I saw it way back, I just almost couldn't watch it. And last week, I almost couldn't watch it even more because of the abuse and the beatings and the ridicule and the tragedies that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through. But we have a privilege. We have a privilege today because you and I, through the words of Scripture and through the words that the Lord will lead us to share, we get to walk with Jesus Christ in his death. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a bunch of them. I don't particularly like funerals. But I go and care for the people and celebrate those that have deceased. I've never been to a death. Maybe you have. I've never been with a loved one. I've never been with a friend. I've never been with somebody when they actually gave up their last breath. But we have a privilege today through God's word to be with Jesus himself as he goes through his last moments and as he takes his last breath. And I want you to know here at the outset that some of what I intend to say and want to learn and want you to learn is some of the lessons that Jesus taught us even in those last hours. Now, Jesus was what we call sometimes the master teacher, and rightly so. He spent his entire ministry, his entire time walking through his region, teaching his people. And through the Holy Scriptures, you and I still experience to this very day his teachings, lessons that we need to learn as Christian people, that we need to take to our heart and put into our behavior. And so he is, in fact, has always been, is now, and will always be the master teacher the one that knows the most, the one that we are to emulate, to imitate, to follow, to accept the example. And I'm proposing to you that as we talk about him going through the Garden of Gethsemane and as we talk about him going to Calvary and as we talk about what's called the seven last words of Jesus Christ, he is, in fact, even in this agony of the hour, 
He is teaching you and me. He's continuing to prepare us for our Christian life. And we just can't miss it. And I'm privileged this day to be able to reflect on that and to talk to you about that and to pray and to hope and to encourage you to take in the teachings from the master teacher. Now, please remember that all during the last few days of Jesus' life, and we find this mostly in the book of John, but all during those last few days, what did Jesus do with his people? He taught them. He prepared them. He loved them. He served them. He put before his disciples and all of his group, all of his fellowship, he put before them the very truth that needs to be in you and me. If you go to the book of John at chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he is doing all sorts of things to teach and to prepare his people for what's coming because he's about to leave. Do you know that those chapters in the book of John take up more than a third of the book of John just in the last week as he is working with his people and he's teaching them? And I'm proposing to you as we talk about these next few, in these next few minutes, that he continues to teach in the Garden of Gethsemane and he continues to teach as he's hanging on the cross. And please be aware that when you and I go to a funeral, isn't one of the primary things that we choose and desire to do is to honor, to remember, and even to celebrate the person that has gone in death. And so that's what I ask you to do this day, is to honor, to celebrate, and to remember. Jesus has walked across the Kidron Valley. He's walked into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he chose to take three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. We know from Scripture that these were some of his special brothers. Those were the closest to Jesus, apparently. And Jesus has asked them to come and to support him. And as they walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, Scripture tells us that Jesus already is troubled and distressed. Why? Certainly we know that Jesus knows what's about to happen, what is going to take place that night, all night long, and the next morning and into the next afternoon. Jesus knows. And he's already troubled by that. And he goes into the garden to pray. Hallelujah. He's under a great deal of turmoil. You and I suffer a great deal of turmoil. And we have the gift of prayer, just as Jesus had the gift of prayer. And he goes to pray. And he leaves Peter and James and John 
and goes on a little further into the garden. And he drops on his knees to pray. And he says, Father, Father, can this cup pass from me? What is the cup? Have you ever thought about this? What, what does he want to pass from him? Is Jesus going through doubts or is Jesus being a coward? Or is Jesus saying that this is not the thing to do? Does he want to avoid the pain and the death that is coming in the next few hours? I think not. I think we look at Jesus Christ, even though he is in doubts. Remember, he is fully man and fully God. And fully man, he is going through anguish that you and I would go through. There are doubts. There are fears. There is hating what he's about to face. But I don't know that that's what he's saying to his father. Can this cup pass from me? Are you aware that this is Jesus Christ, absolutely the only perfect person ever in the history of mankind, never sinned, never did anything wrong, never hurt anybody, never cheated, never lied. And now Jesus Christ is about to face, and not only face, but carry on his back the very sins of all mankind. I believe that that is what he was asking to avoid. I believe that that is what he was anguished about. And he prayed, can this cup pass from me? But not my will, but your will. And in his desire to be in fellowship with his people, he got up and went back to Peter, James, and John and found them sleeping. Now, don't throw a rock at them. If you throw a rock at him, you're going to have to throw a rock at me. Because sometimes I am sleeping. And without being judgmental, I would propose that sometimes you are sleeping. We suffer from sleepiness all the time, laziness, selfishness, avoidance, convenience, comfortableness. But now Peter and John and James are asleep. And Jesus says, why can't you just stay awake? Don't you know what I'm going through? No, they did not. And you and I do not. He went back and he prayed a second time. Same thing. Father, Father, for goodness sakes, can this cup pass from me? But not my will, but your will. And he goes back to Peter and James and John. And again, they're sleeping. Don't throw the rocks. Don't throw the rocks. They're suffering human frailties. And Jesus goes back a third time. And I believe, and I propose to you, that this is something that we have a privilege to understand. That at this time, when Peter a third time, excuse me, when Jesus a third time falls on his knees and says, Father, can this cup pass from me? Jesus settles the matter. There have been doubts, there have been fears, there's been anguish, there's been sadness, there's been distress, there's been all sorts of things in Jesus Christ. 
But I believe that this is where the victory of Calvary comes. Now, yes, we're going to see when I talk a little bit later about the next day. But I believe that in Jesus Christ, he settled the matter in that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is why it's so important to you and me. Because you and I go through the same sorts of things, not as intense, but we go through the trials of life. We go through anguish. We go through sadness. We go through disappointment. And we labor and we figure and we, we fret and we lose sleep over it and we worry and we go through all sorts of things. And we need to settle the matter. Whatever the matter is, according to what? Our feelings? What's convenient for us? Do you know that if we, possibly, I can't even imagine it, but if Jesus had settled the matter according to his feelings, according to his distress, he would have walked out of the Garden of Gethsemane and headed on down the road the other way from Mount Calvary, the other way. Thank the Lord he did not. So he settled the matter when he said that third time, not my will, but your will. And you and I, here's the lesson. You and I need to do the same thing. Because when we follow God's will, then there is settledness. Brings on peacefulness. It is right under God's leadership. And Jesus has taught us once again in the Garden of Gethsemane that that is correct. Now, you know the rest of the story. Judas shows up. The guards show up. They arrest or capture Jesus. They take him before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas and all the Jewish leaders. And he goes before Pilate and then he goes before Herod and then he goes back to Pilate and all the Roman soldiers and there's all this harangue and all this ridicule and all this abuse that takes, takes place overnight. Folks, we're into the middle of the night. Two, three, four, five o'clock in the night. And Jesus is being beaten, whipped with a whip of nine tails. And let me tell you that those tails on the end of it were not just pieces of leather, but there were pieces of metal that was ripping his flesh to the very bone. Now, I'm not going to say much more about that because it's horrifying. But that is what he's going through all night long. And there's calls out from the crowd. Many of the crowd have been coerced by the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish leadership, to, to yell out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they take him toward, here's the word, Golgotha. No, Mount Calvary. And the walk with the cross and this brother Simon that carries the cross, hallelujah for that. 
but Jesus is still right there being beaten. He's being abused. He's being ridiculed. He's been spit upon. He is suffering immensely. And now he is on the mountain. And there are three crosses there. He is about to be crucified between two hardened criminals. Three about to die. And what does he want to teach us? What does he want to say to you and me here 2,000 years later? He has seven words, seven phrases that are very important. Please listen to them. Please think about them. Just allow me to help you reflect on what he teaches you and me. What we're to learn, even from Jesus, as he's hanging in agony. All night long he has been abused. All night long he's been beaten. All night long he's been distressed. But remember, he settled the, the score in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the first thing he says is they crucify him. Now, by the way, if you look at Scripture... It's almost like God protects us from seeing all of the anguish that Jesus was going through. Because that's not a, once Jesus goes to the cross and he is placed on that horrible tree, there's not an awful lot of description about what he went through. It just says, and they crucified him. And they did. Horrible, horrible death it was. The first thing he says, amazingly, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Now, who, who might you think is the they in that? Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Is he talking about all those Roman soldiers all around him? Yes. Is he talking about Pilate and Caiaphas and all the Sanhedrin? Yes. Where, where, where are his disciples? They're gone. They all fled from him. Yes, forgive them. Where's Peter? Peter's somewhere crying because Peter's already denied him three times. Yes, Father, forgive them. But there's somebody else in that statement. You and me. Remember, Jesus knows everything. Jesus projects out across the ages. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And there is forgiveness and compassion can you imagine that? Can you put yourself in that place and say, would you do likewise? Would I do likewise? Father, forgive them. The second thing that Jesus says as he's crucified, hanging on the cross, he's between these two thieves, two hardened, terrible criminals being killed because of their own sin, because of their own crime. 
And one of the, the criminals is joining in the abuse of Jesus Christ. And this criminal on the cross is saying, Okay, you king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself and then save us as well? Come down from that cross if you're so powerful. Mockery and ridicule, abuse coming from that criminal. But what does the other one say? He corrects the first criminal. Says, are you crazy? Don't you know that this is Jesus Christ? And he declares the truth of Jesus Christ, this second criminal on the cross. And then the criminal says, Jesus, please remember me when you come in your kingly kingdom. Do you think that that second criminal had any way to prove his allegiance and dedication through behavior to Jesus Christ. No, he's hanging on a cross. But what does, what does Jesus say to that second criminal? Today you will be with me in paradise. There is forgiveness again. Forgiveness of that criminal. Forgiveness of whatever he had done. There's instantaneous, and the lesson for you and me is we live in forgiveness. And just like that second thief hanging on the cross, we will be with him wherever he is. I don't know how to explain paradise, heaven. I know some things about the second coming. He is coming back, I promise you. But... I know wherever he is, I'm going to be there and you're going to be there based on your belief in him. Forgiveness. That was the second thing that he said. Now, the third thing, there are some people, even though many of his followers have run away because they were terrified, there are some people standing at the base of the cross. Do you remember who those are? Bible mentions four. The Apostle John is there. And then there are three Marys. <laughs> three. Mary Magdalene is there, one of Jesus' followers. A woman of the streets that is now believing and loving the Lord. Mary, the wife of Clophus. They are followers of Jesus Christ, part of his disciples. And then most of all, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And right at their feet, at his feet, are these four people. And Jesus looks and he focuses on his mother. Now there's a lesson here for us because remember, he is in anguish. He is in pain. He is going through all sorts of turmoil. And he looks at his beautiful mother. And he thinks about the fact that 30 plus years ago as a little girl, a young lady, a young maiden, his mother Mary was encountered by the angel that said, you're going to give birth to Jesus Christ. 
and he is going to be the savior of the world. And she has seen this baby born. And then she remembers that when he was baptized and circumcised, that he, they took him to the temple and Simon, Simeon, was there to say how blessed that that family was to have Jesus Christ. But this man, prophet though he was, said to Mary, there will be a sword that slashes your life. Mary is standing at the foot of the cross and watching her son be killed right in front of her. And Jesus looks at her and he, in compassion, says, Mary, behold your son. And he points to John. And John, behold your mother. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus, in his anguish and in his pain, still takes care of his loved ones. He takes care of you and me. He has such an amazing capacity for love. And the Bible tells us that from that day forward, the mother Mary was a part of John's family. Hallelujah. Now, those are very important. Forgiveness, forgiveness, and love for a mother. The next thing he says comes after, as the Bible tells us, that the, the hour is now the sixth hour. And from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness covers the entire region. Death is coming. And it says in a loud voice, that Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. All by himself. Absolute abject loneliness. Carrying the sins of the world. And he is feeling the burden. Remember, even yet still, he is fully man and fully God. Doing what he's supposed to do. do doing what he has to do. But it's a tough trip. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God go away? I don't think totally he went away, but he had to turn away. And Jesus cries out and even quotes what we quoted last week. Psalms 22. Starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next thing Jesus says right after that horrible moment is, I am thirsty. You think? Would you be thirsty? All night long? All day long? 
Yeah, Jesus is a man. He's got a physical thirst. And they take a sponge and fill it full of vinegar. I want you to think about that. How many of you want to drink vinegar? Don't hold your hand up. But how many of you want to drink vinegar when you're thirsty? I want some ice water or some good cold iced tea or something like that. But they give him vinegar. But he says, I am thirsty. And sure, he was thirsty. Anybody would be thirsty at that time. But was he just thirsty for drink, for water? He was thirsty for loving fellowship. He is alone carrying the burden of all the sins of the world. And he is thirsty for the love of the Father. He has taught people all during his time that living water that he shares with people will cause one to never be thirsty again. And he's teaching you and me that that is still the case. And he is thirsty. And it's almost over with. Because the next thing he says is, it is finished. It is, is finished. Is it, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the, the pain? Is he talking about he is on the very edge of death and he knows it? And soon as death comes, it will be done. It will be over with. I'm sure part of him was looking forward to that. But it is finished means that he has done what the father has asked him to do. And it is finished means that he has saved and he has provided salvation for you and me. And now his task is completed. And it is finished. And then the final thing that Jesus says. Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Remember just a little bit ago. He said. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? And I'm saying God did not go away. Because right now Jesus. Is saying. Father into your hands. I commit my spirit. And the Bible tells us. And with that he breathed. His last. Jesus is dead. I want you to ponder that for just a moment. Jesus is dead. Now, thankfully, Sunday morning is coming. Sunday morning is coming. Absolutely, we know that. They didn't know that that day. Mary and John and all the other disciples, that it, they knew that Jesus was dead. They didn't totally realize that Sunday morning was coming. All they know is that the earth shook and the rocks split and the curtain was torn down the middle in the temple and there was all sorts of cataclysmic things going on. 
but Sunday morning is coming. And Jesus Christ lives. And I'm so thrilled that next Sunday, when I have the privilege of being here, that we will celebrate resurrection morning. Hallelujah. Now, as usual, I ask you to ponder what the Lord has said to you this day. What he has taught you. What he is asking of you. Now, this is a time of seriousness. This is not a time to just get ready to walk out the back door. This is a time for you, and I appreciate so much your attention. You're such a good group of people, and you are thinking and praying and focusing. But what has the Lord said to you today? He has made this ultimate sacrifice. He has suffered but now it is finished. He is satisfied with what he has done. And I'm asking, are you satisfied with what he has done? So satisfied that you give your life to him. Now I want you to bow your head and just to think. I want you to concentrate. I want you to think about some of the things that Jesus has done and said that I've had the privilege of reflecting for you. And I want you to decide and open your heart and mind and see what Jesus Christ, your Lord and Master, has taught you, is teaching you, wants from you as a Christian man or woman, wants from this church, wants what is right. Please think. Jesus, we honor you. We celebrate you. We love you. We thank you. We know you are Lord, Master, the great teacher. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you, to walk through the Garden of Gethsemane, to walk up Mount Calvary, to hear, to receive, to think about, to see what you're saying to us with all of this process, with all of your life, with all of your modeling, with all of your example. And we pray above everything else that as we realize the sacrifice and the suffering that you gave, that we will sacrifice our lives to you and for you. That we will be your people. That we will be the church that you want us to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we pray in your wonderful an amazing name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.